Thank you very much for that ministry in music. Chesley Burnett Sullenberger III was born January 23, 1951. He became famous overnight, but he was not just successful overnight. His whole life had prepared him for the great event that took place on January 15, 2009. Sully gained fame when he successfully ditched U.S. Airways Flight 1549, which had been, been disabled by striking a flock of Canadian geese during its initial climb out over the Hudson River off Manhattan, New York City. All of the 155 passengers and crew aboard the aircraft survived. It was an incredible event. Just to imagine the airplane taking off and hitting a whole flock of geese, and these geese just destroying the engines on that jet airplane. Passengers said you could see the flames shooting out of the left engine, and all thrust was lost. He had absolutely no power. And as he radioed the tower, and as they thought back and forth what was to be done, they thought about an alternate landing at a nearby airport, and then he radioed back that there was just no possibility for him to make it to that airport. He said the only possibility of survival is to land on the Hudson River. Can you imagine that? Landing a jetliner on the Hudson River. How was he ever able to do something like that? Well, his whole life had prepared him for that one event. From a child, he wanted to be a pilot. He put together loads of model airplanes and dreamed about one day being a pilot. At age 16, Sullenberger learned to fly uh, a 7DC from a private airstrip near his home. He said he had a wonderful instructor that uh, proved to be invaluable to him for the rest of his life. Sullenberger enrolled at the United States Air Force Academy in 1969. He was selected as one of around a dozen other freshmen for a cadet glider program. Now, just think about that. Out of all of the individuals at the Air Force Academy, only he and 11 others were chosen for a glider program. And, of course, that's what he had to fly, the biggest glider that was ever made when that, that uh, jet lost its uh, power. But uh, he was a part of that glider program. And by the end of that year, he was an instructor pilot. In the year of his graduation, he received the Outstanding Cadet and Airmanship Award and was the class top flyer. Sullenberger was employed by U.S. Airways, uh, or its predecessor, Airlines, from 1980 until 2010. In total, he had more than 40 years and 20,000 hours of flying experience.
before that event took place on January the 15th, 2009. In a CBS 60 Minutes interview, he was quoted as saying that the moments before the crash were, and I quote, the worst, sickening, pit of your stomach, falling through the floor, feeling, end quote, that he had ever experienced. Speaking to the news anchor Katie Couric, Solenberger said, and I quote, One way of looking at this might be that for 42 years, I've been making small, regular deposits in this bank of experience, education, and training. And on January 15th, the balance was sufficient so that I could make a very large withdrawal. End quote. His life had prepared him for that one momentous experience. And so he was famous overnight. But he wasn't just a success overnight. His whole life had prepared him for that event. Jesus had spent 33 years in preparing himself to go to the cross. That was the great climaxing event in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He spent the first 30 years of his life in anonymity. We only know one story of what took place when he was 12 years old, when he was in the temple, asking questions of the rabbis. That is the only glimpse that we have of all of the events in the life of Jesus Christ from the time of his, of, uh, his birth till the time that he is 30 years of age. What was he doing for those 30 years? Answer, being prepared. Being prepared. Being prepared for public ministry and ultimately the death on the cross. He spent approximately three and a half years in ministering and uh, going about preaching the gospel, healing and doing works, demonstrating that he was, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of God. Peter had spent three years in preparation with Jesus. Uh, he had been a disciple, a follower, uh, one of the inner circle, one of the inner three, very close to Jesus. Today is Palm Sunday, the day in which we commemorate Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. However, I decided to do something a bit different this year, and rather than focus on the actual triumph of his entry, I decided instead to focus upon his triumph in the Garden of Gethsemane, for that's what it really was. It was, it was a triumph. It was the moment of decision. It was the greatest temptation that Jesus had ever faced in his life. Now, we know that Jesus faced temptation throughout his life. And the most notably, in the very beginning of his public ministry, we know that uh, temptation took place in the wilderness and uh, how he resisted the evil one and uh, failed uh, to submit to the temptations that were brought to him. But this night, this Garden of Gethsemane was going to be the triumphal event in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was also going to be a time of Peter's great failure. 
And we need to see the contrast there. Jesus triumphing over temptation and Peter succumbing and uh, entering into temptation and sinning and denying the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning I want to focus on what made the difference between those two individuals. Why did one triumph and the other fail? This morning, the key verse is Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles there. Matthew 26, verse 41. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our theme this morning is that the only way that we can remain loyal in spite of our weakness is to stay alert to danger and to depend continually on God through prayer. Depend continually on God through prayer. We want to look at, first of all, the occasion for the temptation, which is the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus speaks concerning the temptation that the disciples are going to face in light of Jesus' crucifixion. The Lord's Supper has now passed. Uh, the Passover meal has been celebrated. Uh, Judas has been dispatched. Uh, he is on his way to betray the Lord Jesus. And now they are in transition. Moving from the upper room now to the uh, Garden of Gethsemane, on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus warns his disciples that they are going to fail in their loyalty to Jesus. Notice Matthew 26, verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. Jesus warns the disciples that they are going to fall away, but not just fall away in general, but he tells them specifically this very Night. Notice Matthew twenty six thirty one. Jesus said to them, You will fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. So Jesus breaks this news to the disciples that this very night they are going to betray Jesus. But he reassures them, and he has a word of comfort for them that's found in Verse 32, he reassures them that he is going to be raised from the dead. But after I have been raised, after the crucifixion, after he's dead, after he's buried, he's going to rise again. And then he reassures them that uh, they are going to meet with him. And to verse 32, I will go before you to Galilee. But the emphasis is on this night and their failing uh, to demonstrate allegiance to Jesus Christ. We are confronted with Peter's response to Jesus' warning. Peter boasts of his unique commitment to Jesus Christ. He says that his commitment to Christ exceeds all others. Notice verse 33. But Peter answered and said, after Jesus said, you are going to deny me this very night, Peter answered and said to him, 
Even though all may fail you, excuse me, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Regardless of what everyone else does. It's interesting, Peter doesn't have a problem accepting the fact that the other ten are going to fall away. He doesn't blink an eye. Jesus says, this very night, you all are going to betray me. He says, I don't care what these guys do. Yeah, they're, they're likely to fail you. They're, they're likely, but, but not me. Not me. Even though everyone's going to fall away. Not me. And then Peter's commitment to Christ, he says, is forever. He says, I will never fall away. I will never fall away. Jesus says, tonight you will. He says, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to tonight. I'm not going to tomorrow night. I'm not going to do it next week. I'm not going to fail you next month. I'm not going to fail you next year. I will never, ever fall away. Now, that's a lot of hubris. Uh, That's a a great deal of arrogancy. A great deal of pride. He had this incredible sense of self-sufficiency. He was absolutely certain of his unwavering commitment to Jesus Christ. Jesus, however, confronts Peter with the reality of the situation. And that is that Peter, in fact, will deny the Lord. So now Jesus singles Peter out. Verse 34. Jesus said to him, that's Peter, Truly I say to you, And now the you is in the singular. He's speaking specifically to Peter. I say to you that this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Not only will Peter deny the Lord, he's going to deny him three times. Repeatedly, he's going to deny the Lord. And, again, it's going to be this very night. But the amazing thing is that Peter still isn't buying it. He still doesn't accept it. He still maintains his commitment to Jesus Christ. Peter states that he will stay true to Jesus even to the point of death. Look at verse 35. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you. I will not deny you. He was willing to shed his blood. He was willing to die. He was willing to make the ultimate commitment to Jesus Christ. Now, in all fairness, verse 35, all the other disciples said the same thing. So he was not alone in this, but he was certainly the most brazen in this. And he certainly failed to render the proper response to Jesus Christ. There are many reasons that people fail in their commitment to Jesus Christ. There are many reasons why we prove to be less than faithful disciples to the Lord Jesus Christ. But one of them, you see, is a 
inappropriate, an inappropriate self-confidence, a self-assurance. That would never happen to me. Or I would never do that. Have you ever found yourself saying that as you look at other people and you see the things that you do and say, well, I would never do that. I would never respond in that way. I would never do those kinds of things. I'm truly committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus had said to Peter and to the other disciples, and, uh, but especially to Peter, he said Look, that Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. That, that Satan had singled out Peter to see what Peter was really made of. Well, that's sobering. And if you were Peter, I, I think you should have taken heed of what he has to say. But the Word of God tells us something that is sobering as well. 1 Peter 5.8 Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The Word of God tells us that Satan is on the lookout looking for people that he can devour. Looking for people that he can cause to sin. Looking for people that he can cause to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. To deny Him. He is constantly on the lookout, especially for people of God, to trip them up. And my question to you is, are we as glib in hearing that warning as Peter was when he heard that he was going to deny the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we really take seriously the fact that apart from the grace of God, apart from the enabling power of God, that we too would deny Him? That we too would fall away? That we too would find ourselves doing the things that that we think are beyond us and incapable for us to do? So let's look at the contrast then between Jesus and, and Peter. Jesus prays, and the disciples and Peter do not. Jesus is going to pray alone in verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. So he says to the disciples, you stay here. Now, the parallel passages also make it clear that he was telling them not just to sit there, but to pray, to sit and pray. And uh, to be on the alert, to watch, to be on guard. And he said, I'm going to go over there and, and I'm going to pray. And then Jesus remarkably bears his soul to the disciples. Look at verse 37. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and began to be grieved and was distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Now notice those words. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Knowing the physical, emotional, and spiritual torture he was about to bear, Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. 
Jesus was under spiritual oppression. As he anticipated going to the cross, he was distressed. Here is our first contrast. The incredible humility of Jesus Christ as opposed to the hubris and arrogance of Peter. He sought their support. Jesus is saying, pray for me. Peter does not say to Jesus, pray for me. Jesus is in anguish as he contemplates the possibility of his failure to do the will of the Father. He agonizes over falling short of God, of what God would have him to do. Peter is apathetic, ambivalent, not under any stress or anguish over the fact that he is going to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have this humility on the part of Jesus and this arrogance on the part of Peter. And the result is that Jesus prays. And notice the content of the prayer, verse 39. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as thou wilt. The cup was the wrath of God. It was the horror of the cross. But it was more than just the physical nature of the cross. It was the fact that he was going to bear the sin of those that would believe in him. Isaiah 51 verse 22 says, This is what your sovereign Lord says, your God who defends his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger from that cup The goblet of my wrath you will never drink again. Here we see that Christ's death was more than just a martyrdom. It was a self-sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed himself. He said, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He came to do the will of the Father. He said, if it's possible, if there's any other way, then my going to the cross, may it be. Well, there was no other way. There was no other way. That should strike us to the core. Jesus praying to the Father, saying, If it's possible, is there any other way for salvation to come? Well, there wasn't. And so Jesus had to go to the cross. That should teach us that when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes unto the Father but by me, that that is the ultimate truth. That is the ultimate reality. If if it were possible for salvation to come any other way than through Christ's sacrifice, he never would have died. So, mankind 
is not going to have any personal relationship to God apart from accepting the sacrificial work and nature of Christ's atonement on the cross of Calvary. If people don't trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are lost. There is no other way. As evidenced even by Jesus' prayer. It was not possible. This request was not a sinful one. This request did not receive a rebuke from God. This request was a simple outpouring of his heart in his distress, saying, if it be possible, let it pass. But the key words were, not what I want, but what you want. This should reassure us as we go to prayer. As we pour out our desires to God. Especially in times of hardship. Especially in times of difficulty. Especially in times when things are going well. In the times of physical need. Maybe you have a disease. Maybe you have heard news that that you have cancer or you need an operation. It certainly is appropriate to call out unto God and say, God, if it be possible, if there's any other way, Lord, heal me of this disease. That's very appropriate. Lord, take this away from me. If you think about suffering in your family, you think about hardships or difficulties that you're encountering, take it to God. Say, God, please remove this from me. That is always appropriate when it's accompanied with, but not just what I want, but what you want. That submissiveness that says, if that's not what your purpose is, if that's not what your desire is, I will accept it, but I would really like to be delivered. It's certainly appropriate. Now, Jesus addresses Peter. Matthew 26, verse 40. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And said to Peter. So, Peter is now singled out. So, you men could not keep watch with me for an hour. What's striking to me is this is the first time that Peter is speechless. He doesn't say anything to that. Here's a rebuke. You couldn't watch with me for an hour. Then Jesus says to all his disciples, stay alert and pray. Verse 41. Keep watching and praying. Now these verbs are in the, in the plural. So this is being said to all the disciples. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The reason to pray. Keep watching, praying that you may not enter into temptation. Now, he's talking to Peter directly. That you may not enter into temptation. And then these words, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus acknowledges the sincerity of Peter's heart. Peter believes... What he is saying, he's not being hypocritical. 
He honestly believes that he would never deny the Lord Jesus Christ. He really believes that no matter what anybody else would do, he's going to remain faithful. He really believes that he would be willing to die for Jesus Christ. And Jesus acknowledges that. The Spirit is willing. But what Peter doesn't understand is the weakness of his own flesh. The weakness of his own humanity. The inability to be able to do that on his own strength. And so we're brought to the reason to pray. That you would not enter into temptation. That that should be the focal point of the prayer. And the necessity, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Jesus leaves them to pray again. Verse 42. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, thy will be done. The disciples, in the meantime, go back to sleep again. Verse 43. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. Now, Jesus continues to pray, and God helps him. Verse 44. And he left them again. And went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. So three times he prayed, It would be possible to take this cup from me, but not what I will, but thine be done. Now, in a parallel passage in Luke chapter 22, verse 43, we find this. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. An angel appeared to him. And the key statement here is strengthening him. Strengthening him. That is a a very important word. Not encouraging him. Not reassuring him. But strengthening him. Empowering him. Enabling him. Enabling him to do what? Strengthening him to do what? Giving him power to do what? Namely, to do the will of the Father and not follow his own way. To go to the cross. In his humanity. In his humanity. Jesus would not have been sufficient. His strength would have failed. He agonizes. He knows his strength is running out. He knows that he is tired. He knows that he is distressed. And he calls upon God because he knows he can't go through this on his own. And God strengthens him. God enables him. God empowers him. You see, and Peter, who failed to pray, doesn't receive that strength, doesn't receive that empowerment, doesn't receive that help. Verse 45. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking rest? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed in the hands of sinners. Arise, let us be going. 
Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up, accompanied by a great multitude with swords and clubs from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he was, who was betraying him gave him a sign, saying, Whomever I shall kiss, he is the one, seize him. And immediately he went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Now, Peter performs a courageous act. Uh, uh, Peter performs a courageous act. Here, Peter risks his life. Look at verse 51. And behold, one of those who are with Jesus, we know from parallel passages, it's Peter. Jesus reached, uh, with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now think about this for a moment. Here is this crowd of people. They have clubs. They have swords. And they come to arrest Jesus. Peter has a sword. He pulls it and he whips it out and he strikes at the servant of the high priest, obviously not intending to cut off his ear. He intends to cut off his head. Now, what would have happened, humanly speaking, in that event? Peter would die. And it's a miraculous intervention on the part of Jesus Christ that Peter doesn't die. So when Peter says, I am willing to die with you, here is the proof of what Jesus said when he said the Spirit is willing. At that moment, Peter was willing to die for Jesus. I believe that Peter was stealing himself, getting himself strong. I believe that, that, when, that when Jesus told him, you'll deny me three times, that he firmly believed he wouldn't, but he was reminding himself and telling himself that he needs to be faithful to Jesus Christ. And so he's ready. This night, he's going to be challenged. This night, he's going to have to take a stand. And here's the moment. And here's the time. And so, he takes out his sword and whap! Misses, but takes off the, high priest, the, the uh, servant of the high priest's ear. Why wasn't Peter killed? Answer, Jesus intervenes. In John chapter 18, we have a, a, a more detailed account of what has taken place. They come to the Gethsemane. The crowd gets there. Peter, excuse me, Judas kisses Jesus on the cheek. And uh, they ask him if, if he is Jesus. And he says, I am. And when he says that, the whole cohort falls down. Uh, because it's a statement of his being the son of God. And they're just overpowered. They're slain by the spirit of God, if you will. And they just fall down. They are helpless at that moment. And then Jesus said to them, I told you that I am he. Therefore, I am the one you seek. Let these go 
their way. That wasn't a request. That was a command. When Jesus said, let these go their way, he's referring to the 11 disciples. Let them go. It's me that you want. I I point that out because John 18 verse 9 says this. That the word might be fulfilled which he spoke. Of those whom thou hast given me, I lost not one. Simon Peter, therefore, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. It equates the event of Peter striking the ear off of Malchus, the high priest's servant, with the words that Jesus said, I will lose none. You would think that the the natural reaction would be of the soldiers if they see one of the disciples pull out a sword and they are beginning to attack that immediately they're going to respond with like force and Peter is a goner. Or you'd think he would stand trial. But the command of Jesus is let him go. And they do. Here we see the power of the goodness of And grace of God. Here also we see the limited understanding of Peter. Look at verse 53 of Matthew 26. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than uh, 12,000 legions of angels? How then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen this way? Jesus says to, to Peter... You know that this is the way it has to be. This is what God wants. This is what we must do. And at that moment, Jesus triumphs. He isn't trying for another way out. He isn't saying, men, all grab your swords. He's saying to Peter, this is the way it must be. This is what the scripture says. He is submitting To the will of God the Father. He is triumphant over temptation. However, Peter now goes on to deny the Lord three times. Jump down with me to Matthew 26, 69. Jesus has now been arrested. He's been taken to the court. Matthew 26, 69. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A certain servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus in Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are talking about. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And a little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, taking God's name in vain, saying, I don't know the man. And immediately a cock crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, Before a cock crows, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Because he denied the Lord.
Concluding lessons. First, here we see the necessity of prayer in the failure of Peter. The Spirit is willing. We see that in his striking off the ear of Malchus. The Spirit was willing, but the flesh is weak. Is weak. It, it tends to peter out. It tends to die out. That commitment of Peter was short-lived. That strength waned quickly. After Peter reflected upon all that had taken place, that courage dissipated. It was gone. And now, there was virtually no threat. These are just servant girls that are talking to Peter, and yet now he denies the Lord. I think there's a tremendous lesson to be learned here. And that is, in our own human strength, it's amazing what we can do. You know, there, there are a lot of things we can do in our own human strength, in our own perseverance, in our own commitment, in our own self-will. We can hang in there. We can pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. And we can do great acts of demonstrating real commitment to God simply because we have resolved to do so. Because we have a willing spirit. But, apart from God's enabling grace, it will always dissipate. It will always run out. The day will come if God doesn't strengthen you that your own willpower isn't going to be enough. That you're going to go become tired. You're going to become weak. You're going to throw up your hands and say, I've had enough. I quit. I've been struggling all this time. And now it's done. And you're going to throw in the towel. And I say to you, if you are struggling, I say to you, if you are hurting, if you are in a battle in your own life right now, and you're saying it to yourself, but I'm going to remain faithful. I'm going to stay strong. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. By all means. Don't wage that warfare on your own. Cry out to God. Ask Him to deliver you. And if He won't deliver you from the situation, if He won't change the circumstance, then pray for God to strengthen you enable you, empower you to be able to keep on. Because the only way that you're going to be able to keep on going is through the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Because our flesh is weak. We should understand the ultimate necessity of prayer. If Jesus needed to pray, How much more do we need to pray? But Jesus overcame the greatest temptation that ever came upon a human being. And Jesus resisted that temptation 
in his humanity by the empowering spirit of God because he trusted in God. And that was the ultimate sacrifice. That is what made going to the cross redemptive. Jesus, a human being, dying in the place of human beings, strengthened by his love of the Father and his commitment to do his will. And God was delighted in that and accepted the sacrifice of his own life. But Jesus did it through the enabling power of God alone. For mankind is dependent upon God. And the heart of sinfulness and rebellion is to reject that sense of dependency, to be self-autonomous, to be independent, to do it on our own. We're to love our God with all our heart and all our strength and all our might and knowing that we need His enabling power to do so. Jesus' prayer was answered. Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart, that you would not faint. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Here is an allusion to Jesus praying in the garden. Great drops of blood, as it were, as he's praying out to the Father. And Hebrews says, you haven't yet resisted like that. You haven't encountered a temptation like that. You haven't encountered an experience like that. So look to Jesus and know that whatever temptation, whatever hardship, whatever difficulty, whatever circumstance that you encounter, there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. And God will, with the temptation, make the way to escape. But you've got to avail yourself of it. You have to pray. And you have to ask God. And maybe the way of escape is for him to remove it from you. And maybe the way of escape is to strengthen you and help you and enable you to do it. But believe me, there are going to be times in your life when your own will, your own strength, your own fortitude, your own stoicism, your own stick to your own commitment, your own pulling yourself up by, your foot, by the bootstraps is going to let you down. We need the Lord's help. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for...
your grace and your goodness. And Lord, we acknowledge today that we are weak and that we are frail. I thank you that so many here have the spirit, the willingness to walk with you and to bring honor and glory to your name. That it is our intention. It is our desire to bring honor and glory to you. But Lord, help us also to see our weakness. And Lord, when we are confronted with hardship and difficulty, Lord, may it remind us of how much we are in need of you. And may we not just simply resolve that I'm not going to give in. I'm going to continue to, per- to persevere. I- I'm going to continue to do what is right. I, 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 Lord, help us at such times to fall on our knees and cry out unto you, O God, if it be possible, remove this from me. But if not, your will be done. And may we see- receive your strength. Bless your people this day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.